in the middle of a, a ball of sausage. Um, Welcome, everyone, and pull up a seat at the table. It is lunchtime in Rome. Tonight's episode 182 is entitled Meeting Your Toddler's Emotional Needs. It's hard for us to express how we feel. It is rare for people to even know what what their emotional needs are and how they can be met. What must it be like for a baby or a toddler who cannot express what they don't understand that they're feeling? Further, what can parents do to keep them from feeling scared and alone? We'll be talking about that this week at the table, so pull up a seat and join us. First-time listeners can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Watch us live at lunchtimeinrome.com forward slash live or listen directly on lunchtimeinrome.com. While there, as we say every week, you can take our relational needs questionnaire, which is amazing. Make sure to follow us on all social media, and it would be great if you gave us a five-star review everywhere. Jay, what specifically is this podcast about? Being alone is the worst. Good times aren't as good and bad times are worse when you're all alone. Romans 12, 15 says to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That is how you keep people from being alone and what this podcast is all about. We demonstrate that in the first 15 or so minutes of the podcast and we talk about it for the rest. So while it may not be 12, 15 in Rome, we're treating it like it is lunchtime in Rome. It takes two women this week. It does. To fill Chris's shoes. Yes, <laughs> yes it does. Poor and they're going to fill them capably. I believe so. Yeah. Um, so we have Lydia with us. We do have Lydia with yeah, us. And we have, here. yeah, you, you've been here before. I have. Episode 120-something, maybe. It was last Every summer. Every week, you think I would look this up. Yeah. And you, um, you were here with your husband, Duke, mm-hmm. who also filled ago. in a couple weeks ago. Right. And, of course, we've got Rachel, who listens every single week live Hi. with bated ears because she's so excited about every single topic. Um, you've she been here. would if she wasn't so exhausted all the time from working so she hard. She works so, so dang hard. hard. Yeah. Um, but welcome to both of you. What's going on with you? Thank you. Ooh, I'm on Christmas break, which yeah. is Woo-hoo! why I can be here. So you'll, you'll get a little bit less exhausted. Maybe exhausted in a different way, but you'll get a little bit less exhausted, and then you'll have to go right back to being exhausted. Yes. So you have the whole week off? Two or weeks. two weeks. Yeah. yeah. Pretty It's pretty nice, yeah. Yep. Do you, feel, do you feel it already? Do you feel the uh, well, release? <clears throat> I mean, we've been pretty busy so far. Like yesterday, we took Bella up to tour some college campuses, and that kind of filled the day. So it's not like I've had like mm-hmm. several days of nothing and then add in Christmas Eve and Christmas and Oh, did you guys go up to like Erie and stuff yesterday? Yes. We sure did. Oh wow. And Slippery Rock. And you Allegheny. still came back and did Tuesday night? Mercyhurst. Oh, we were Cracker Barrel. Oh yeah, Cracker Barrel. Wow. Let me tell you, there is some salt yes. and <laughs> sugar yeah. in some Cracker Barrel. Yeah. Rachel got a chef salad. Some butter. I said, How was it, honey? She goes, salty. A chef salad yeah. was salty. I feel like it was the ranch dressing was super salty. Yeah. Mm. I know people that eat there all the time. Oh, can't imagine I, it. I don't know how they have taste buds. I was sitting at the table, and I mean, you know, I ordered a hamburger steak, which is just a hamburger without the bun, mm-hmm. you know, and fries and coleslaw. And I'm looking at the table talker menu, and I looked, and everything on it was either 9,000% carbs or 3,000% sugar. Mm-hmm. And I flipped around to like the next side. I'm like, no, worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> next one. And then you just look around the room and yes. you're like, who is in good metabolic health? Yeah. Maybe yeah. me. <laughs> A little bit Rachel. That's it. It's so sad. It really is amazing how it's just not in anybody's consciousness. You yeah. know, it, we're just going to go eat at Cracker Barrel and that's what we do. And once in a while, sure. Great. Every once Fine. in a while. And I'm, nothing against Cracker Barrel. Oh, it's any restaurant. Yeah, any restaurant. And well, but Bella had never been there before, so she was fascinated what? by the, 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 the store, store area. Yes, the, the store best part area. Of Cracker Barrel. Oh, it's a fun time. Took a while to get her out of there. Did you so. do the one in New Stanton? Eerie. Oh, okay. Though I did have a question. The ceiling fans, you know, it's all like you're in a barn and stuff folksy. like that. Folksy. Ooh, yeah. The ceiling fans were 
covered in dust. Yeah. Yeah. Moving. Like, visible. I could well, tell. I mean, you're in a barn. So. Well, but I was like, is that like a cosmetic feature? Or is, or is that <laughs> just dust? Well, maybe they've paid off OSHA, so OSHA doesn't come in and inspect the place. Could be. Could yeah. be. Could be. But anyways, you, you went up to Erie, and, and you're on you're on break, and what else? Anything? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> All caught up on Rachel. All caught up on <laughs> Rachel. But almost a year since you've been here, or something like that, so hey, that's about it. Lydia was here with Duke in episode 120. 120. From July 15th, 2021. Wow. Times of... But I would like to point out with both Rachel and Lydia uh, and all of the people who are sharing the table with us in Chris's absence that these are co-hosts. Mm. These are not guests. You're right. not guests at the table. You are regulars at the table. Mm-hmm. You just so happen to be on the mic this evening. Good point. So what's going on with you, Lydia, besides your um, awesome <laughs> glasses uh, covers that you can snap off because they're magnetic? Right now, yeah. Lydia has uh, black glasses, black frames on, and she... To me, I can see like Christmas lights, and I was like, "Oh, did you get those specifically for Christmas?" And she just snaps these um, these frames off, and she's like, "I could put whatever I want on here: <laughs> sunglasses or French fries or whatever you said." Um, There's a bunch of different uh, <laughs> French fries. I don't know. I there can't. probably is a French fries pattern. I don't have them, but yeah. Um, no, it's been it's been good. It's been a little um, like status quo for a while. Um, we did switch Owen, who is 16 months old. We switched him to a toddler bed. Oh, oh yesterday. Big boy yeah. Was he crawling out? Have we not talked about this? Oh, no, we it, this was just yesterday that we switched him. Wow. So, um yes, bum, he bum, crawls bum. out. He's mostly slept on the floor. But was he crawling out of the crib? Oh, no, he but I didn't know that there was a difference. There, apparently there's two types of cribs. There's a regular crib that everybody else gets and then I happened to get a mini crib. So, mm. he was getting a, a touch small for it. Um so, we switched him out. He spent most of naps and nights on the floor mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. somehow this morning he must have wound back up in bed and then fell out of bed <laughs> at like <laughs> six right. in the morning so it was an early early morning for us normally he doesn't wake up until like seven seven thirty wow i can't so, get that hour back nope we tried tried snuggling in bed but no he but was other ready than to that, go yeah he was other than that though um pretty average day sweet um we had a Christmas party at our house on Saturday, and did. I think I had one of my most favorite moments of the year at that party. Um, there was a lot of a lot of fun things that happened, but one of my favorite moments was um, everybody was it was starting to die down a bit, and we had like Ethan and you know some of the teenagers mm-hmm. and Joe and Leah and Ben, um, who have all been guests on here, and. I walked in at one point and the music was a little bit loud and it was rocking around the Christmas tree and these kids in their music, <laughs> right? <laughs> Those lyrics are kind of scandalous. Um, but they were literally dancing around the Christmas tree. Like, yeah, it so was fun. so much fun to watch. And it was, I, it was just, I feel like the whole night to me was just a very wholesome time. It was a good time to catch up. I love giving the space for, for, all the people that were there, because I know that everybody's coming in with a story and it's just like two, three hours of just, you know what, let's be here now. Let's just unload a little bit. And, um, I I just, I find that really, really special. Um, Abby had a, (laughs) Abby had a concert tonight. Were there a ton of people there? There was a lot of people there. Yeah. It was big. Yeah. There the school was really busy tonight. Well, it had basketball. Yeah. And then, of course, the that's concert. why I had to park up in Machu Mount, Picchu. Mount Everest. Um, but yeah, the the concert itself was very busy. Um, a lot of people because they had they had both the fifth and sixth grade band and the fifth and sixth grade um, orchestra. But so, that's it, though. I mean, there was a lot of cars there. I would say the auditorium was half. three fours. Somewhere between half and three fours. Wow, that's wow. that's a lot of people. It's a big auditorium. Yeah. I haven't seen that full since maybe the musical. Yeah, no, it was great to see. Um, <laughs> great to hear. Uh, <laughs> um, fifth and sixth grade, yeah. Um, but for for them, the 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 band teacher, the the orchestra teacher, Miss Mrs. Bird, mm-hmm. is oh, fantastic. We love her. Yeah, yeah, she's fantastic. She's great. She was like, I told her afterwards, I was like, you got your steps in. Uh, yeah. For today, because she was running around like crazy, you know, she was trying to get all the percussionists, um, all the percussionists switched instruments between each song, 
and they didn't know where to go. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what they were playing. So she was trying to get everything organized, and it was just her. So um, I don't know. It was it was, it was a really nice time. Um, the music did sound a little bit like night the Nightmare Before Christmas <laughs> version <laughs> of Christmas babies. songs. I know, I know, and they do start in fifth grade. Um, mm, fourth, uh, third. Um, Abby started in fourth. She yes. started. She did violin last year. And then continued it this year. So I don't know. Um, they might start in third. Wow. But I will say, Penn Hills is known for lots of things. Yeah. Their music department yes. is extremely top-notch. I've like been... every band director, choral director, orchestra, mm-hmm. every teacher is phenomenal and works really hard to draw that out. And it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's quite unique because they're not only passionate about music, but like they really, I, I've never met any person in the music department, the kids were like, oh, I can't stand them. Right. Like, they, they relate well. They encourage. They're passionate. It, it's, it is. It's a very sweet point. Well, yeah. Yeah. And, and Mrs. Bird or Miss Bird, whatever, um, she, I guess she's been doing it for 20, 21 years, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and she had one of her former students there to kind of help out. She mm-hmm. had kids that were um, like Zach Berkovich mm-hmm. um, and another Zach. And uh, so anyways, it was just really cool to see and like and her enthusiasm. You've been doing this for 20 or 21 years, whatever it is, and you're still this enthusiastic about it. Um, And yeah, I'm just I'm really impressed with like the drama, you know, that whole and the musical and all all kinds of stuff. So it's very cool. You know, there are problems, but there are problems in every school, school district. And it's, it's really it's really nice to see this in, in Penn Hills. And I got to say, um, Eric Scotch eggs at my party. Like, uh, <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about food because man, those Scotch eggs are, he didn't use your, uh, your sausage, um, which he normally does when he makes the Scotch eggs, which is basically a hard boiled egg in the middle of a, a ball of sausage. Um, but, but he went he to did not use my sausage. No, he, no. Cause we, we talked about it. I, I, he was asking me what to bring to the party. I was like, can you do the Scotch eggs? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I don't. Jay, I haven't talked to Jay about sausage. And um, I was like, Well, go out to Sam's Club. There's this like thing of Jimmy Dean sausage that I get. It's breakfast sausage. And well, we'll have to wait until he gets back in this room because I he called <laughs> me that day words. and I ground him fresh sausage. And he said that he used my sausage. Oh, maybe he did then. Okay. But, Maybe he did because just another like, Eric Hammond lie. Uh, like no, I, he said, I noticed. He I left totally used Jay's sausage. Yeah, like I said, that was a conversation that we had. He's not I, even in the room, and he's commenting on the podcast. <laughs> How <laughs> is that possible? He's the tech guy. What's happening? So, anyways, <laughs> I've, I've had a really good week, and, and um, it's, I'm really excited to be here at the table tonight. Uh, in regards to, I want to take it a step further with the food comment, because uh, I am in the process right now of making my own hot sauce. Okay. It was Saturday, I think, morning. And I'm like, I'm so careful about what I put into my body. I try to, you know, Mm -hmm. I make my own ranch dressing. I grind my own sausage. You know, I do all those kind of things. But yet I was sitting there holding my Cholula hot sauce. And I was like, oh, what's even in here? And and I was like, I don't want to have to make my own hot sauce. (laughs) So I purposefully didn't even look at the ingredients because I didn't want to see like high fructose corn syrup and all of that. And you use that a lot on a lot of things. A hot lot. Sauce? Yeah. No, just my breakfast. But I okay. cover my breakfast yeah. in the Cholula hot sauce. Duke puts hot sauce on everything. Yes. Well, one should. <laughs> so I then sit down, turn on the kitchen on Food Network. And what is Katie Lee making? Hot sauce. Hot sauce. So I then looked at the ingredients, and they're not bad. Mm-hmm. I think the only thing was xanthan gum as a, you know, a binder, a thickening, thickening agent. agent. Yeah. So, but I have these hot peppers that I have frozen in my freezer from Flo, from, you may not know Flo, you had of course forgotten Flo. Flo <laughs> comes to the 11 o'clock, but moved back down to South Carolina, West Virginia, somewhere. She was a Seneca worker. She's one that gives like the best hugs in the world because she's like four foot two, but like a grandmother body. So like, you just feel like you're hugging a pillow. <laughs> and she gave me like scorpion peppers, ghost peppers, habaneros, and something else. So I've used like one in the last two years. Scotch bonnet, because I tried to make Jamaican jerk season uh, marinade. So anyhow, I, I'm, I'm making it right now and using all of those. So I figured I'd just Ow. make it like a death sauce. <laughs> so when you say you're making it right now, like it's home marinating? or No, I'm, I cooked it, and then it has to cool before you can blend it. Oh, okay. So I'm just letting it cool on the stuff. 
Gotcha. Our I mean, house smells spicy. It's it's not much of a recipe. I mean, it's just the hot peppers, onions, garlic, apple cider vinegar, water, and then before you blend it, you add in the honey and what other spices <laughs> you want to salt, pepper. They say cilantro, but <laughs> I don't like <laughs> no, soapy. Not in our house. No. So are all of you all of you have the yes. the soap cilantro? I don't know that Joe does. I was gonna say I don't know about Joe. I think Bella does, mm-hmm. but we definitely know cilantro. It's a it's weird so sad. It is. I like it. It's, it very, it's very fresh. I feel it. Yeah. I worked at Chi Chi's for two Oof. years. So, I mean. Nope. You know, uh, me and cilantro are tight. Chi Chi's. That. Talk about smelling. I know oh. we mentioned on the podcast oh. before. Oh. Yeah. Uh, you'd be in there for five minutes and come out and be like, yep, I, I was in Chi Chi's. What restaurants make you smell like the restaurant? Subway. 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 I'm telling you, that's yeah. there should be slogan. <laughs> it's always fine. Never great. Sorry for the smell. <laughs> what is it? Is it onion? Yes. Wow, you're passionate about that, dear. <laughs> I am, and it's been about what? It's Subway. It's yes. not. The, it's not the bread. That's no, what I was you wa- say no. You leave fresh- smelling like uh, it's onions. oniony. You smell smell like you leave mm. smelling like. Onions. And I haven't been to a Subway in like 15 years. So sorry, Subway. Not a sponsor. Uh, you, Eat fresh. When you when you leave Mohan's, do you smell like chicken? No. I think the kitchen's far enough away. Yeah, I guess. Mohan's under new ownership. Oh yeah. Never been. Aww. Never been. You've never, never been, been to Mohan's? Nope. They have super fun trivia oh, nights. We used, to. used to. I was, they're going to bring it back. We know the owners now. <laughs> talk so. to Jess. Yeah. I was just telling Duke that we have never been, and you guys talk about it all the time. Yeah, it's a good time. Yeah, it's close. It's real food. It's homemade ish. For the most part, Ish. I mean, mo- most of it is. I mean, yeah. sure gluten-free stuff. Yeah, they do a gluten-free pizza that Amy Davidson likes. And I wings. Mean, their wings are good. That's the whole wing kind of a thing. Um, no, it's real food. It's normal food. It's good food. I think uh, anytime you go into a place like uh, Hook Fish and Chicken, mm. you come out smelling like the fryer. Yeah, sure. yeah Popeyes. Yeah, there's another one where you smell like oh, Popeyes. Fryer. I worked at a Popeyes for a while. Oh, what'd no. you do? I buttered the biscuits. <laughs> I worked there for like six weeks in high school. That was it? That's yeah. all you did? Buttered yeah. biscuits. I mean, I would do checkout and stuff, but I think one time I like let a guy go with a $40 order or something like that because he was asking me so many questions and I got so flustered Aww. and then he didn't pay and I just let him go. And so. With bi- just all biscuits or like? No, no, it was like a full order chicken. He took $40 worth of buttered biscuits. <laughs> That would be. Joe be smells fun. like Chick Fil A. Yeah, Chick Fil A. Oh, Joe smells home. bad. Like but he's Chick-fil-A. also working the right fryer. Next to the fryer. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah Chick Fil A has a smell for sure. Yeah. I mean, he's got burns all over him, but yeah. not as many as I thought, given the fact that he's a baby giraffe. Yeah, I think he's a full-grown giraffe. Now. Yeah. <laughs> so he used to be a baby giraffe because he used to be very awkward and would fall out of a folding chair. Still does. Well, that's true. <laughs> now he falls out of, well, okay. The recliner. Has we, seen him yeah, he very we a, often. We have a recliner in our living room that, mm, not every time. Two out of three. Often he will sit in it and just flip the whole thing backwards. <laughs> yeah, he did it last week. And it's like, he's not intentionally, it's not like he's diving onto it. He just sits Miss on judges. it and just flips it just over. center gravity kind of thing. Attention to detail. Mm, yeah. Yeah, they're going to teach him how to shoot a gun next year in ROTC. <laughs> right, that seems safe. You're excited about that? I am not. That's because you're his mother and you care about him and you don't want him to blow himself up. That's true. But when he was much smaller, it was your job and mine to make sure that he was as emotionally healthy as possible. And I remember one of the mistakes we made was when he was afraid of dogs. Hmm. And, and by the way, we made, I'm just going to take the ownership. I'll say I made, you can decide if you made the mistake or not because he, we had had dogs and he wasn't afraid of them, but then he went to a friend's house and he got yipped at, not even nipped. And then he was always afraid. And we would always say, no, look, you used to have big dogs. You don't have to be afraid of dogs. They're not going to harm you. You're four times the size. Mm -hmm. So instead of us saying, Hey, it's okay to be afraid. It's all right, buddy. You're, you know, we made him afraid you don't have to be afraid it's okay to be afraid mm-hmm. no what that's what you said you said oh you i'm sure you said all that so there stuff. was shame you're being, right. he was you're alone being in dumb. his feelings yeah yes. you're being dumb for being he afraid was alone and ashamed oh uh-huh. yeah and afraid mm-hmm. and and it's like i know all those things dad now that's even as a five six seven eight nine mm-hmm. but what about when a kid is four five four three two somewhere in there if you're and, under two i think you say like 23 months you can't <laughs> You gotta say months, not. I do what I want. <laughs> but 
that's kind of what we want to talk about tonight because Lydia is in the mix right now with our boy Owen, and by that mm-hmm. I mean her boy <laughs> Owen. Um, but he's a, he's a, he's the boy of the table. He'll be yeah. on. The, he'll be at the table very soon. He's so sweet. <laughs> he, oh my gosh. Well, he was. I was very pregnant with him the last time. I he didn't say much. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of disappointed. He was not a very vocal guest. But Rachel works, uh, may I say, where you work? I think I've talked about it before. We just don't use names. Sure. Um, my wife works at the Western <laughs> Pennsylvania School for the Deaf. And you work with the babies, as you like to say, the three-year-olds. Yes. Who break my heart in so many ways because so many of them are, you know, an hour or so away. And the one girl whose name is... No, I'm just Stop. kidding. <laughs> And let me tell you about her mother. No. Nope. <laughs> but not only are they toddlers, but many of them either don't have language or limited language mm-hmm. when they come to us. So that is a... Now, is that expressive language or as far as what they understand? Both. Okay. Um we're so excited for tonight because this was Lydia's passion to talk about this. And Brian and I have already just said, Hey ladies, you're carrying the podcast tonight. The fact that Lydia just said expressive language, Brian and I both looked at each other like, okay. We're not Are they, can they understand you or no. can they like, uh, wait, so, so when they come, like they don't even know sign language. Some like, of they them. can't hear. Correct. And some of them don't even know sign language. Correct. So that is that expressive language? Yeah, expressive is what you communicate outwardly versus mm-hmm. receptive, which is what you understand. Thank you for defining those. That's yes. important. So some of our kids who are deaf of deaf parents will have a background and know some sign when they come to us. But again, they're only three. Mm-hmm. So applying that to social situation, you know right. what I mean? Like they're limited. Um, some of our deaf Children that have hearing parents have received early intervention and have some base of a little bit of language. And then we have some that have not had any intervention and just come to us and they don't understand sign, but they also can't hear us. We also get kids who may not be deaf, but just are not going to speak. Really? You have kids that aren't deaf? Correct. So school for the deaf... So we're meeting the needs of whatever language needs they have. I got you. Understood. Understood. I mean, the kids still have to qualify. Mm-hmm. To I come like that Brian school. was calling like foul. Right. Well, <laughs> I, I just, What's I, up with that? Again, I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> so our kids do express themselves, but it's usually not in an appropriate way. So, And how do you communicate with them in terms of like classroom rules and uh, schedules and routines there are no rules (laughs) it does sound like anarchy sometimes when you describe it right um so we use a lot of pictures we have picture schedules we have picture choices we have their picture um showing them their picture and then the sign that goes with it and very quickly they can usually pick up on that and then we don't need the picture anymore uh but for you know, if it takes us all year to show them the picture schedule, then that's what we do until they get a little bit older and have a better understanding. Mm-hmm. Like very quickly, w- you know, when they come into the classroom, we need for them to go to the potty. Right. Um, so we'll show them a picture of the potty and then show them the sign for it. And after a couple of days, just the sign for it. And they're like, and they just go straight to the bathroom. We've been doing that with Owen. Yes. He's been doing. So pictures are very helpful. Mm-hmm. And sequencing, like, first, then. Wait, are you doing that with Owen just to add another layer? Or, I mean, he he can hear fine. Yes, right? yeah. Okay. Um, so sign language um, is actually, because it kind of forms a, a tangible connection to words, um, is actually really beneficial for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so Owen was signing. Mm-hmm. Um, bef- yeah, he was signing more and please, please and all done. Um, which really helped us in mealtimes, like with cutting down on throwing food. Like if he was all Mm -hmm. done, he would just start throwing it. Um, Or if he wanted more, he would like scream or cry, throw his cup. Um, So adding the signs in gave him those communication skills Mm -hmm. before his language skills. Because kids can communicate before they can speak. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's almost like a parenting superpower if you can. We did that with our babies too. A little bit. Yeah. You more than me. Well, I just demanded that they speak. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's kind of what Duke is. <laughs> but I think it's important to point out, you know, I think there's levels to parenting. And that is, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago that um, in relationships, good enough is only good enough while things are fine. Mm-hmm. You know, and if your goal in being married is, you know, we're fine. Everything's fine. All right. That's only good for a while. And I think in parenting, there's sort of like the different levels, which is sort of surviving. You know, yes. we're getting through a day. We're running out mm-hmm. the clock. Getting to I, bedtime. Getting to bedtime, whatever else. But then there's there's good parenting where you care about, hey, what am I doing to my child? Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I raising, you know, a good young person or am I just getting through the day? And then there's, I think really what we're talking about tonight is taking it from good to great. Mm-hmm. That you're really saying, hey, what is best? What is, because parenting is hard. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, and, and you made an astute point talking about that, that the parenting is very difficult mm-hmm. and that, you know, your child is a hard time, but. Right. So a lot of times we feel like, you know, our kids are giving us hard times, especially in those toddler years and those early, like five and under really like it, mm-hmm. it feels. 18. <laughs> well, I guess I don't, my uh, professional experience kind of caps at elementary age, but um, we feel like kids are giving, giving us a hard time and it's, more helpful, I think, to reframe it in, and this is not mine. I um, you steal it. It's fine. I will steal it. Um, but kids are not giving you a hard time; they are having a hard time, and reframing that um, helps me kind of look at it. <laughs> well, as, wait, but in the notes that you wrote, I love what you wrote. Wrong, because you wrote your child is a hard time. Well, <laughs> I typed these like, up very quickly. No, but my point is, I'm like, that's right. That's right. The child. <laughs> Is a hard time. They're not intentionally <laughs> giving you a hard time. No, they are a hard time. Now you're saying they're having a hard yes, time. Yes, they. I'm saying both. <laughs> no, and maybe, and I'm sure. No, you, it's a hard time raising a human being. It is, and it's it, very it hard. feels hard because it is hard. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, well, and, like you say, they're they're having a hard time, but generally, you're also as the adult. You know, all the plates that you're time. juggling. You yeah. know, like it, there, you reach your own break. Like put kids aside mm-hmm. you have your breaking point almost every single day and then you add a kid to that it's it, it's pretty um pretty difficult so it takes a lot of patience more yes. patience than you think that you have right yes and it, it takes a lot of so i i've been i will preface a lot of this with this is not my own original thoughts um it's what I've, you've learned it's what i've learned i found um well none of us a, are experts here at the table we're right. just sharing what we've learned so you don't have to qualify it okay um but what was your statement again patience patience, patience. yes um so I, a lot of it comes from kind of understanding yourself and your own emotional needs and um, where your hurts spill out of and, and what, for lack of a less overused term, what triggers you. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you understand that, you can kind of take a minute to ground yourself and in a, in a hard moment with your kid, think, this is upsetting to me. Why is this upsetting to me? Mm-hmm. What's going on for my child? What do they need from me? And then, like... So as you're going through the hard time of parenting and needing patience, as you pointed out, it's sort of reverse engineering Mm -hmm. because you said where your hurts spill out. So it's like, okay, well right now I'm angry, Mm -hmm. which is where a hurt goes, or I feel like a worthless parent. All right. Well, that's guilt, you know, or this is all my fault is guilt. I'm a worthless parent would be self uh, condemnation. So, okay, right. Well then therefore I must be hurt right now. Mm -hmm. So therefore what was my hurt? You know, well the kid, you know, my baby just threw everything on the floor and I told him not to. All right, well, that's respect. Mm-hmm. Or I just made this food and they threw it all over the floor. Well, that's appreciation. You know, and so you're saying reverse engineer from what am I feeling? Okay, what's the emotion for that? What What is not being met? Mm-hmm. And getting back to what's going on in that exact moment. Right. And even if you can't, like, address, you know, like your toddler isn't always going to meet your need for respect. No, but you like with you have to understand yourself. <laughs> right. And um and that comes from or that that leads to like you seeking that out elsewhere that's not an irrational tiny being who's learning how to human <laughs> for right. the first time. Let's be clear, your toddler's probably going to steal everything from you. Yes. They can't give stuff. Like they they need if Every you have a need for a belonging. A while, and that's why they don't. And they th- give you like a well-timed hug like yes. sure. But yeah. 
Yeah. They are very, very draining emotionally, mentally, physically. Yeah. All of it. I always felt Ethan was like the energy that that, that kid had and the ability to take energy. Mm-hmm. I just always felt like he would just plug himself into me mm. and suck everything out of me and take it all and then run around the house and use it. And I had nothing yeah. left, but I, I love the fact that you Lydia are already understanding emotional needs and that being the starting point for how to handle a child because, mm-hmm. um, you know, my kids, we had them and, and pretty much raised them through the, the early years without any understanding of this. Sure. And I think it, you know, it probably would have, help me to be me individually be a lot less angry and you know some of the things that developed yeah i'm I'm very grateful to have this framework um last time i was on with my husband um we talked about like emotional needs in the context of marriage and mm-hmm. so it's um now that we're almost a year and a half ish into being parents it's and and we're starting to you know because as a baby like they don't really do much as right little newborns, but now that he's, I mean, he's not a baby anymore. He's like a full blown toddler. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's coming into play a bit more mm-hmm. in our relationship with him. And I feel like we never stop learning how to parent. Mm-hmm. It's just different phases of life. We just have bigger kids that have different problems, issues, little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems, right? Just different common. problems. Yeah. So it's always okay for everybody to learn how to parent better, mm-hmm. regardless of how old your children well, are. You, you know, our kids, to a degree, are an anomaly in that. They've been raised for the bulk of their lives with the understanding of what emotional needs are and having a jam down their throat and at least have our intentions to be that. But it's funny because one of the things we wanted to talk about is what can a toddler how can you parent a toddler who can't tell? They don't even understand what they're feeling, let alone what the emotions are behind it. But even as you're talking about how it's always difficult parenting, I think about you go from a kid who doesn't understand what they're feeling to then later on, they're not really excited to share what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. You know. But then I wonder if did you set it up better in the front end, they're more likely to share. Because you know, with, with Joe and with Bella, you know, they, they didn't, well, no, they were kind of raised that way. But it's just interesting that like they can't share, and then they and become they won't share. Teenage, right, and then they <laughs> won't share. But well, Ethan, you know, Ethan's a very private person, and um, he'll share what he wants to share when he wants to share it. But I also know that he has had, you know, quite a few years of having all this, you know, and, and being around us and going. You've to mentioned ch- some times where he has expressed it. Yeah. You're like, stop giving me facts, logic, and reason, Dad. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he's on it, you know, and and but yeah, it's like he some he he doesn't really express himself a whole lot, which is fine because I do understand and I'm and I'm confident that he that he gets this, you know, mm-hmm. and he's he's in a much healthier place than a lot of other kids who may not be expressing yes. themselves. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, so one of the things. Um, I don't know what you want to call it. One of our core beliefs that we learn at my work and that we apply every day, all day, all behavior is communication. Mm -hmm. Whether they're a newborn, a baby, a toddler, teenager, an adult, and even friend to friend, spouse to spouse, whatever, all behavior is communication. So when, go ahead. No, I was going to say, can you flush that out a little bit? Like, are you well, there's saying- a motivation behind the behavior, and that motivation stems from a need not being met. Yes. So when you have a toddler that is throwing a toy so on the all floor. all abnormal behavior. No, all behavior. If, I, if we're having a conversation and I go like this, I just communicated to you. I crossed my I, arms and yes. turned away. <laughs> um, that's me communicating to you through a behavior that I want you to stop talking. Or something. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, no, facial I get that. Expression. Yeah. So all behavior is a form of communication specifically to what we're talking about with toddlers or children that can't communicate with words, that's where we need to sort of interpret what need is not being met and how do we redirect an undesirable behavior into a better behavior by meeting that need. Right, and allow them to communicate that in a different way. So as parents of young kids, if you understand that all behavior is communication... Mm -hmm. It's very important to understand um, 
and and be very aware of that nonverbal communication is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. You know, so going back to if you have a toddler that keeps throwing their toys on the floor angrily, mm-hmm. it's up to us as a parent to figure out why, what's going on. At my work, we call it the antecedent, meaning what happened right before they ABCs. threw the the toy um, that caused them to want to throw it. Sometimes there is not one that we can identify, but clearly they're trying to say mm-hmm. something isn't right here. I'm tired. I'm hungry. Uh, I don't want this toy anymore. I'm mad. I need a hug. I, I don't feel well. You know, and that can be hard when they can't talk to tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's our job to figure it out. Yeah. So a big piece of that is like um, in emotional needs language, like joining them in their emotion. Like you're not going to join them in throwing the blocks <laughs> or whatever. But, um, you know, being able to say like, I can tell that this is frustrating or I can tell that you're upset and and really um, validating and, and identifying, like you verbally identifying um, what's going on because kids, um, young kids don't have those language skills that we do. Um, narrating what's happening for them is actually very helpful in the like de-escalation process because it, it validates their experience and it teaches them that like, okay, I can perceive the world correctly and this is what's happening. And, um, can you it, give an example of that? I'm, of other, the narration? Oh, um, so we'll do the, the throwing the blocks. Um, sometimes Owen gets frustrated when he can't stack them properly or he can't fit them the way that he thinks that he wants to. Um, so like, and then he starts throwing them. So sitting down with him and saying like, Oh, it's really frustrating. You can't get these blocks the way that you want them to. And even just stopping there and acknowledging, um, it, he kind of like holds your gaze a little bit of like, yeah, you're right. And and it, and it goes back to joining them in their emotion and, and comforting them rather than trying to convince them out of their feelings and, or just redirect the behavior. Right. Um, and it, it, or just write it off. Like, yeah, right. Whatever. Yeah. And there's, there's a Ignore. big, yeah, there, I was gonna say there's a big, um, so like I, just as a side note, I have a background in um, early childhood education, and there's a a method of ignoring the behavior um, to prevent an attention cycle, attention seeking type behaviors. Um, and I've come to kind of not lean in that direction as much as I I used to. Um, because all behavior is communication, right? And they're communicating that something's not maybe right. I need attention yes and so really joining them in that emotion and acknowledging that they're expressing a need um, is just a great place to start even before you go into behavior correcting type mm-hmm. stuff what is funny is you know as a as a coach you know, you're always told to sort of sandwich the redirection you know it's like hey I appreciate your passion uh, but you're doing this wrong I believe in you you can be a good player go well, it's the same thing as what you're saying is, oh, wow, this is really frustrating. Now, we don't throw blocks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So but. still maintaining – you can still maintain boundaries. Um, and that's um, like parents' number one job is to maintain <laughs> physical safety boundaries. Um, and then the emotional stuff comes right after that, empathizing and validating with your kids. When Rachel said the antecedent, you jumped all over it and said ABC. Yeah. And uh, the antecedent, the behavior, and then the consequence of that. It's a – like the, so the antecedent is noticing like if there's a be- problem behavior you think about you pay attention and watch like is there a certain um impetus for that behavior that you can identify and you can't always like she said but um and then the behavior occurs and then watch what happens after that behavior for the kid um i think right yeah okay let's say mm-hmm. it's been a while since i've studied that but but so it's, a, a, it's an observation technique. Right. But it's, it's funny. I'm just saying, as you say this, I think it almost should be, you know, because, of course, I know better, um, back instead of ABC because it's I noticed the behavior. So then what was the antecedent? And yeah. now I have right. to provide a, a consequence because it helps you once again. All right. If you see the behavior and that's communication. OK, then what was it that caused that? What are they experiencing? Mm-hmm. What are they trying to communicate? And then where can we you know, how can I join them in that? And then how can I redirect that and reinforce the proper behavior? Right. It's good on paper. (laughs) It is not easy. And like Brian, you were saying, like it is draining Mm -hmm. um, because and and kids don't have the language capabilities. They don't have the self-regulation. So they use you 
to mm-hmm. like as their regulation. Mm-hmm. And that's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, as humans were created for boundaries, like we were meant mm-hmm. to have boundaries and you know, it's so important for parents to recognize that these little humans are craving boundaries. Yeah. Makes them feel safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the way that God designed us. And yet we live in a world that's like, you can do whatever you want. So, you know, I think that, that, that it's, it's an important recognition for us as parents to know that when they throw something or they hit you or they do whatever, you have to set a boundary there. Because right. if, if mm-hmm. you do just ignore it, I mean, you're, that, that kid is heading for some, some hard times. Right. And they feel alone and out of control. Mm-hmm. And like if right. they're, if they're hitting, right. you, um, you it know, gives that, them an identity almost. Right. You know? They may, they're a bad kid cause they hit. Mm-hmm. Um, but so like, um, the hitting behavior is a window into like what's going on for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they're trying to communicate to you. You can still say, I will not let you hit. And I understand that you're having a hard time right now. And I'm mm-hmm. here. We can work it out. We'll get through this. I love you. And I'm not going to let you hit. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's important to, to recognize that like two things can be true. You can still have firm, loving, safe boundaries and still provide comfort and um, good emotional responding to your kids. Yeah. Right. We do. I mean – we do not reward bad behavior, <laughs> but we also don't necessarily have punishments. Right. Um, but there's natural consequences, mm-hmm. you know, to some of these behaviors. Like if Owen breaks a toy and you don't replace it. Yeah. Then the that's, a natu- right, yeah. that's a natural consequence. And maybe next time he'll go, hmm, last time I broke a toy and I didn't get it back. I won't do that again. Right. And that that's a more like... Um, concrete um way for kids to change their behavior rather than like young young kids might not always make the connection between oh i broke this toy and now i'm sitting in a timeout they never understand that right and that's not going to lead to behavior change Mm -hmm. um because it doesn't address the needs at all it doesn't address address the behavior and then the motivations behind that so i'm yeah i'm all for natural consequences yeah that's very libertarian and it's not how a lot of us were raised, which is, oh. it's it's a very, like, I've come to kind of, like, this big, like, paradigm shift in parenting. And even from, like, my, my teaching days, like, it's, it's different. And, like, the emotional needs stuff, the, uh, um, the way that we relate to each other through emotional needs is a very different framework than, mm-hmm. like, obviously. But Well, you say it's different than how we were raised. Yes. Like... I think even I mean the the amount of thought you're putting into raising Owen right it's far far and above you know I mm-hmm. was much more the survive in advance and try to raise a good kid mm-hmm. and I'm I'm sure there will be those times I'm sure it kind of comes and goes in waves where you have time like you know right now I'm a stay at home mom it's mm-hmm. just me and Owen so like I I have the the luxury of being able to spend the time like researching and learning and right. doing this stuff but yeah and you think about the way any of us were raised None of this. I mm-hmm. mean, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's like a miracle yeah. that, you know, that any of us have gotten where we where we are. I was going to go back to the timeout thing. I wanted to make it make the point that there is a time and a place for an age appropriate child to sit and mm-hmm. think about what they did immediately after a behavior, but, but not as a punitive way, but just as a time to calm down and think. Yeah. But toddlers can't reflect where toddlers cannot reflect and attach mm-hmm. that to the behavior even three-year-olds it's not going to be super effective so would that be why joe mood at me when he was in timeout is probably a four-year-old yes <laughs> we, we used to have them <laughs> put their nose on the doorknob yeah. for a couple minutes hey joe came home late the other night we should put him back in timeout that would be torture <laughs> For him to get his nose on the doorknob? And then he would have to bend over because he got so tall. He would have to bend over to put his nose on the doorknob. We're like, all right, that's not working. Let's get into like Guantanamo Bay stuff right there. <laughs> a little bit. Um, so I just wanted to clarify. I'm not saying that any parent So when should one their... start to put their child in timeout? It would depend on the kid, right? I'd say. In a and range of? I would say older than three. Yeah. Because three, three and under is generally considered toddler. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and so, again, it depends on the child if they're going to be able to connect 
right. thinking and, about what they did to what happened and how to change that moving forward, which some children are not is capable. There, is there a way to advance that connection um, or is it really just up to the individual? You, you talk about it. You model it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, like with the natural consequences, like you threw this toy and it broke. Now you can't play with it. Probably going to go over his head. Mm-hmm. At this age, but just continually modeling that and and like I said, narrating. But you're saying advance, like as far as like getting a kid up to speed to understand consequences. You're saying starting mm-hmm. a kid younger to know. Yeah, like like if they if they have no ability to reflect, you know, like up to a certain p- point, and so you're talking about not giving them punitive, um, I almost said damages, but um, c- consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that would be an advantage if you can help the kids start to understand earlier those, you know, that there are consequences and be able to reflect on things because then you can do, I think maybe do more. So something like that is more brain development. Okay. Rather than so it's more biology experience. rather than. Yeah. Where somebody younger than three is just not going to understand mm-hmm. and you're not going to get them to understand. Yeah, got it. I, I would add that like you could model that through play. And you could have two dinosaurs playing together, and one hits the other, and then that dinosaur doesn't want to play with the other one. I, but and I, but I don't think that even that would. Register it, it just depends with an on the kid, yeah. right? It it does depend on the kid, but I, I think that there are things that you can do to kind of set yourself up for that, so that it might be a little easier once you get to the age where that's more appropriate. Well, I think with all stages of parenting, you know, the more cognitive and intentional you are, and knowledgeable you are, you know, with simple attunement. You know, and as a baby is smiling and you're smiling, they're like, oh, there's a give and take here. So if you're just leaving the kid go or every time they cry, you pick them up or, yeah. you know, if you're, you're, if you're doing attachment in the right order, right. The attunement leads to the attachment and now you're engaging with them. They might be more receptive to further parenting than if they cry and you jiggle the entire time until they stop crying. <laughs> so I think being a good parent, an intentional parent the whole way through is going to set you up quicker. Um, and they'll put themselves in timeout by four. <laughs> so some of the notes on here are talking about our job as parents. And we have physical safety and we've talked about mm-hmm. boundaries. And there's an example on here. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so are you talking about the, the two story? Yeah. Okay. Um, so again, this is not my idea. This came from a book that I read that cited another book. Um but it's so the original book that it's, it's book from, inception. Yes. <laughs> based on a Ted talk. <laughs> <laughs> the original book is called the whole brain child. I have not read that book. Um, but the analogy goes that um, kids are like a two story house and the first floor, the bottom level is their impulses and emotions, things that um, just kind of come out. Um, and then the upstairs is the more higher functioning, um, cognitive reasoning, um, self-control, self-awareness, decision-making, things like that, those higher-order mm-hmm. higher, higher order thinking levels. Um, and as parents, our job is to be the staircase and to help them get from those mm. impulses to the impulse control, um, to using those behaviors as expressions to finding healthier ways um, to express themselves. So... Um, and it, like it's exhausting to be their emotional regula- regulation and their behavioral regula- regulation. Can't say mm-hmm. regulation, um, but I, I thought that was a helpful um, analogy and picture um, to think of yourself as a staircase to help your child get from kind of the I don't want to say lower level, mm-hmm. but lower level functioning type um, emotions, like immediate impulses and emotions, up to the regulation side of things. Um, we have that uh, under physical safety and boundaries. How mm-hmm. does that tie in with physical safety and boundaries? So being able to um, like control the impulse to throw blocks when you get frustrated mm-hmm. um, or being able to control um, your desire to bite somebody who knocked over your tower. Mm-hmm. Um, th- those kind of like physical safety behaviors or being able to um, control your impulse to climb over the couch. That's mm-hmm. been Owen's thing this week is trying to climb over the backs mm-hmm. of the couches. Um, so does that answer? That yeah. Question? Okay. Good. Well, it, it, we talked earlier about how this isn't how we were raised mm-hmm. and, the, and the paradigm shift that you've had, even going, you know, going from 
you know, your education model to now your hmm, I'm a parent model. To me, it seems like we were raised at best being taught what consequences and behaviors were desired and accepted. Right. Even implicitly, um, meaning that like good behaviors would get you more attention from adults, even if they didn't say like, oh, that is a good behavior. You would get that positive attention versus if um, you acted badly, you'd get sent to timeout and be treated like a bad kid for X amount of time. Um, so even if parents weren't necessarily putting that language on this is what makes a good kid and this is what makes a bad kid, there, there were those implicit messages being sent through how you were treated as a kid. Yeah. And again, I think it was at best, you know, and, and again, I'm a little bit older than everybody else here, a lot older than some, but that it was, it was the focus is on the behavior. Mm-hmm. And then as Brian kind of alluded to a lot, the way a lot of people are raised now is the focus isn't on the behavior. Everything is permissible. Mm-hmm. And really and the ideal thing is obviously behavior, but also mixed on the emotion mm-hmm. and, and the emotional health of the child so that they can self modify right. and understand the behavior as well. Interesting. I say to myself. I always like to remember, I feel like we did this when our kids were little, that we're not raising children. We're raising adults. Right. And so that's Mm -hmm. almost like being the staircase that you don't want to treat your child so that they continue to have tantrums all the way up through teenage years or something Mm -hmm. because they're not going to be a functional adult. Right. It's our job Mm -hmm. to give them the key the keys to being a healthy right human. we're raising adults we there are not are, raising children there are so many parents out there that that look at their child as an object that's supposed to do what they want them to do or what mm-hmm. they think they should do when in reality there's a, there's a whole universe going on inside that that human being mm-hmm. you know and i feel like as parents our job is to foster that to to let them explore that to to give them that freedom while giving them definition Mm-hmm. And, you know, but I just, I feel like there's so many parents that just completely take this amazing miracle of a life form completely for granted and try to just make it a bot almost, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of project onto the kid, which is why it's important to have that element of self-reflection of like how you were raised and, um, you know, where you're at now and kind of evaluate your own mental and emotional health so that you don't project that onto your kids. Yeah, and the next point you have is validation. Can you speak a little bit more about the validation yeah, aspect? Yeah, so, so that kind of goes back to... Uh, our job as parents to, right, to, yeah. uh, to validate. So three jobs as parents um, is physical safety and boundaries, um, validation and empathy. Um, so validation is kind of like I was saying, like, I can tell that you're frustrated, like um, validating that you see what they're going through. You see that they're having a hard time. And then empathy is kind of like the joining them and comforting them in that like, oh, that is really frustrating when Mm -hmm. you don't get what you want. I don't like to wait when I'm hungry or whatever it is. Um, So those two validation and empathy kind of go hand in hand. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that's, again, that's a perfect illustration of the difference in the way we were raised. mm -hmm. You know, validation. There's no parent. Of our generation that was concerned with validating our emotions. Oh, honey. Right. Oh, honey, I can't. Oh, honey. Right. Oh, honey, I can't. No, because they were too focused on the behavior. Mm-hmm. I don't care how you feel. This is right. This is wrong. Pound salt, mm-hmm. you know. Or because and, I said so. Mm-hmm. No, that's not a good reason. No, that's a need for respect that's getting ignored. Right. And, and ignored by the parent. But yeah, that's that right there. To validate is like, oh, okay. And now you're raising a, a young adult or an adult. Who is going to be like, okay, so my feelings are valid and I, I think my emotions are valid ideally mm-hmm. so that I don't have to be manipulated by my feelings. Mm-hmm. And I feel like at my work, we very quickly see behaviors change because we've done simple things like giving them a word or a sign mm-hmm. instead of – so like if one of our kids is throwing blocks and we sort of communicate with them like – no, we're not going to throw the blocks. Can you ask for help? Mm-hmm. Give them the sign for it. Give them the word for it. Model it for them. And then the next time when they, you know, actually sign help or ask for help and we cheer and do the dance and clap for them and all that, they're like, oh, I like yeah. that. You know, like, communication is beneficial. Right. So, but, mm. but something as simple as just giving them one word. like that, you, And it shows that you understand what they're going through right. and you can help them 
have that not happen again. Well, right. it's, it's all three because mm-hmm. you gave them the boundary. Oh, we don't throw the blocks, but you know, you need help. So, okay, I do need help. That is validating. Mm-hmm. And then you celebrate and, and you, and you help them. Well, there's the empathy. And, and you say that children are hardwired to seek out nurturing relationships in order to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, can you expand on that a little bit? It's, it's you call it the attachment theory. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not my. <laughs> That's a, a long, like, thank you, doctor. Child psychology term, um, but and th- there's different level, different um, types of attachment. Some good and some bad. I forget the exact terms for them. Um, well, I think attachment can lead lead to something we've talked about before. Would be enmeshment, right? Like this is different. Attachment okay. is just another word for healthy relationship. So well, it's sort of what evolves out of attunement. Yes. Like, oh, you know, if, if, if when I make a smiley face and you smile and then we smile and everything else and I make a frowning face, oh, okay. So there's somebody I can trust who gets me, who understands right. me. I can trust you. There's an attachment there. Right. It's, it's uh, this person is a safe place. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's a little different than that kind what of dependency. What you're thinking of is detachment as what happens in trauma is you either get enmeshed or detached. Mm-hmm. Enmeshment is gross. <laughs> <laughs> It um, usually is. <laughs> um, but yeah, so attachment theory, like, um, what did I have on here? Um, yeah, so children are kind of hardwired to um, seek out adults who will protect them and make them feel safe. Mm-hmm. Um, they have just kind of this innate understanding that they don't know how to do anything for themselves and that they need someone who's capable to provide for them. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if you think about a child in the womb. Mm-hmm. is sharing everything mm-hmm. with the mother. And, th- and that's why, I mean, from a hormonal standpoint, the mom gets a head start with the dad because you've, you've already been attached, literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then breastfeeding too, you know. Yeah. Sure. And so with this, then imagine a mother who is only concerned about behaviors. Mm-hmm. So now this person that I am connected to, that I have shared so much with, all of a sudden is not safe because something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Everything I do is wrong. And now it's, uh, I'm detached right. from and this person. That kid's feeling very alone. Mm-hmm. And, and confused. And confused and probably some shame. And um, like thinking back, like evolutionarily, I guess would, I don't know if that's a word. But for a kid, being alone means that they would eventually die. Like if they're yeah. perpetually mm-hmm. alone, like, um, so it, it's, you know, we, on this podcast, at the table, we talk a lot about being alone and not wanting others to feel alone. And I, when I kind of learned about that, um, that perspective, it, it made it seem much more urgent to never let your kid feel alone. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. because it is so much more biologically scary for them. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a frightening thought. If mm-hmm. you think about how much you don't like to be alone yeah, and it's exponentially worse for a, a toddler mm-hmm. or a baby. Mm-hmm. And, and if we think to some of our greatest hurts as children, I think, you know, even all the way back to almost be like, you can think of them of moments you were left alone or moments you were scared as a very little child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, that leaves a certain an imprint on the, your development and future hurts. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, wanted to, Oh, I was going to talk about giving choices also gives them a sense of control. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about us as adults, like all of the choices that we have already made today, like what did you wear today? How did you drive over here? What did you eat? You know, Kids don't get those. Right. But they can if you set them up for that. Like, you know, for dinner time, instead of saying, what do you want to drink? And have the kid go, oh, Mountain know. Dew. Okay, you can't have Mountain Dew. Okay, well, then that just crushed their ability to control the situation but do you want milk or water Mm -hmm. that's a choice they Mm. get to choose they get control within that choice so you're giving them freedom within within the boundaries Mm -hmm. yes so do you want to wear this shirt or this shirt tomorrow you're giving Mm -hmm. them a choice but you're giving them the control to choose which choice Mm -hmm. and that was really helpful with our kiddos um we did that we did we also did did that (laughs) we also did we never set them up to lie Oh, no, we're big passionate about that. So I'm trying to think of an example. Don't if tell I tell your mother. If I, no, if I knew, say I found a candy wrapper, whatever, I don't know, and I knew that it was Joe. Like, I know without a doubt that it's Joe. You don't go Joe. up and say, Joe, did you eat candy? Because mm-hmm. that gives him the opportunity mm. to lie, and then he's going to have to get two consequences right. for eating the candy and now for lying. 
but rather going to him and saying, Joe, I know that you ate this candy. We need to talk about that. So that takes that pressure off of knowing, okay, I don't need to lie. I'm already and caught. it takes the shame out of it, too, of right. like being caught in a situation where you feel like, well, either I'm going to get in trouble or I try to lie. and Right. So, But yeah, the, the giving of control, the giving of choices, mm-hmm. and that's huge at my school. Like I said, you know, they can choose which cereal do they want for breakfast. They can choose which of these two chairs do you want to sit in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes them feel like, oh, I get to, I get to make a choice. I'm under control. A lot more capable than yes. adults yes. give them credit for. Mm-hmm. And so giving them those choices and, and validating their experiences and their feelings, um, like, is, I just, I think it's huge because they, they really are, <laughs> like, very capable. They're miraculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you want to you want to foster that miracle. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, like later on as an adult, how many adults um, constantly questioning their decision, constantly questioning their own ability to do anything? And you want to really um, like it's important to build those skills um, mm-hmm. as a as a kid by giving them the like you know age appropriate choices right. and and freedoms within boundaries. So for the parents who have been sitting at the table with us for the past hour, mm-hmm. and they're overwhelmed. And they're sitting there going, wait, I'm supposed to, there's a, the boundaries of a, of a two-story house and a ladder that's a stairway. I need a baby gate. To, to sign language. What would you encourage them? Like what, if, if they're just coming right now, they're coming out of survival mode mm. and they want to be, they want to parent. Maybe they're not ready to be superstar parent, but they, they just want to parent. What, what would you encourage them? What is the biggest thing they could take away in regards to keeping their kids from feeling alone and or nurturing a more solid emotionally healthy child i think getting there for yourself first so like going back listening to old episodes um doing the emotional needs questionnaire um to understand their emotions so that they're not manipulated by their feelings Mm -hmm. that their children are causing them and then you can also understand okay my kid needs my, my toddler needs support to build needs my support to build this tower and not feel frustrated or my child's need for security is being taken away when I leave them in a locked room. Like being able to, to understand the specific emotional needs that are in play with your kids. So build your emotional vocabulary, yes. emotional needs, vocabulary yes. and understanding. Mm-hmm. Even before that, I would say just take a breath. Parenting is hard. It can get better. You can learn, but first just and take you, a breath. <laughs> and you're going to make mistakes and you have yes. to be able to forgive sure. yourself and you have to go to that child, you know, when, when they're of that cognitive age to be able to admit that you did make a mistake. I you're think a it's, big fan of that. Even, I, even before they hit any certain like developmental milestones, you can go back and repair and be like, you know what? I, and I, I've done this with Owen. I'm, you know, I yell at him, you know, I get mad and you know, he's on my last nerve and I yell and, um, he gets very scared and he cries and I can go to him and say, you know, it was very scary when I yelled at you. It mm-hmm. wasn't your fault. Mm-hmm. I had a big feeling that came out as a yell. I'm going to work on that. And like, and I, whether or not, you know, a 16 month old is going to understand that it gets you as the parent in the habit of mm-hmm. doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I think you'd said it is important to give yourself grace. Yes. You know, I think that is so essential. I, I mean, I remember flipping out on Trey and his diagnosis was what it was. And that day was coming. And I remember saying, I will not feel guilty about this later. Like right now he is driving me insane. Mm-hmm. He is seeing every button and I've let him push it. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to give yourself grace mm-hmm. as a parent. Yeah. Especially otherwise you're going to quit, especially a first time parent, because you've never done it. You've never done it. Right. So you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail. You're going to fail yourself. You're going to fail your kid. You're going to fail your partner. And and so the yeah, yeah, the grace, the the forgiveness, it's it's massive. But I would say as a second as a parent of a second child, you need grace because you think you know what you're doing now. <laughs> but you didn't realize how much more difficult it was having two. Go ahead. They let you take those babies home from the hospital. That's crazy. crazy. I like without any help. I that thought was that like crazy. I mean, I, I have a background in like child development and, and even I was like, they give you nothing. Right? They like, give you But to nothing. that end. Like good luck. Go see your doctor <laughs> next week. Yeah. What? Everyone that's alive w- yeah. w- was raised yeah. to some degree. Like, we've all made it. Yeah. I mean, no, 
there's a lot that are not uh-huh. doing very well. Right. But, you know, so they've been doing it. What I've said it before, marriage and having a child, it is the most special thing you can do. It is the most common thing you can do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like everyone over, who has ever been alive was a toddler. Mm-hmm. Somebody either cared or didn't care for them. Mm-hmm. Very gracefully done. (laughs) Well, that's it for episode 182. Please make sure to give us a like or follow on social media and visit us at lunchtimeinroom.com. While there, take our relational needs questionnaire. Thanks for joining us at the table for Lunchtime in Rome. Beautiful. I was trying to sound like Lex. (laughs) Bye. Oh, bye. 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 No, it was great to see. Um... (laughs) Great to hear. Uh, <laughs> he went he to did Sam. not use my sausage. Our I mean, house smells spicy. I buttered the biscuits. They cry and you jiggle the entire time until they stop crying. And Meshman is gross. <laughs>